What's up, everybody? You're listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we're back again for another fantastic episode looking at what's happening here in Chicago in terms of film. Connor, good to see you again. Good to see you, Tom. Always a pleasure. Yeah, you got a nice beard going. I know uh, well, podcasts are a visual medium, so it's important to <laughs> describe. Yeah, no, I've even I've even decided to grow out my hair so that people can hear it a little bit yeah. in, the, in the tone of my voice. It's good. Yeah, it's, it's real working. good. It's very rock and roll. I'm um, thank yeah, you. <laughs> I, I can hear it and I can feel it. Exactly. And he's got a nice hair ahead. I haven't even introduced. I, he's got a nice yet. hair ahead. I've always he's got a hair ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I never wanted to be that guy who got one haircut in high school and just stuck with it. No. Just change it, change it, arrange it. Uh, as you can hear, there's a third person in the room. It's not an apparition or some sort of uh, phantasm. Phantasm. Uh, it is assistant editor for Daily Grindhouse, Mike Vanderbilt. What's up, man? Hey, how are you guys? Thanks for having me back. I uh, was on here last time talking about Cinepocalypse. I couldn't have offended anybody too harshly on that no, one. No way. Only Sounds lightly. Thank you. <laughs> you're, I mean, uh, you're just you're a man of opinions and opinions that I like to read. <laughs> well, that, I really, I, I honestly do appreciate you reading them because, like, when you even when you're writing for a site that's relatively well known, like Daily Grindhouse, you kind of wonder if, well, I'm putting it out there. I mean, I enjoy doing it, but is anybody actually reading this stuff? Well, it's all about the game of clicks now. Oh, absolutely, yeah. it's all about the clicks um, and. You know, though, if you don't put out a really incendiary opinion, you're probably not going to hear from anybody. You're not going to know if they're reading, you know? Like, if I had, like, we were talking before we went to air, we won't get into this. We were talking about my Last Jedi review. If I had just <laughs> panned it, as many people thought I did, um, I would have heard about it. Like, people would have responded on Twitter. Right. But since I kind of gave it a middling, yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. Nobody wants to fight with you on it. Which is too bad because <laughs> it's it's those kind of um, middle of the roads opinions sometimes where you can find a lot more nuance to the opinion. Because like when you watch a movie, most of the time when I see a movie, even if I didn't love it or you know if i'm somewhere in the middle about it i like some things didn't like some things i think that's a better review than uh gushing about it or just completely throwing it to the dogs because you're going to get something that you might you know you might see the bits that oh wow i would probably really like this movie because it has some things that i like and these things that he didn't like or she didn't like uh don't really matter so much so i appreciate you taking the nuanced approach to film i have said that it's harder to write it's it's hard to write about something you really like and it's hard to write about something that you really hate Mm -hmm. because it it can become all emotion in it and somebody who i i mean my favorite film critic growing up i'm from chicago of course it was roger ebert bingo and i would read his books like even like you know as a horror kid and I disagreed with his review of Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, (laughs) but I read it and understood where his opinions came from, and I think that influenced and inspired me as someone who loved film at a young age and now uh, writes about him. Well, we appreciate you, and we appreciate Daily Grindhouse for giving us all of our B-movie genre (laughs) needs and giving us the the informed opinions. Bingo. And speaking of which, we've got uh, some fantastic screenings coming up that Daily Grindhouse is a part of. It's you guys, the AV Club, and then also the Front Row. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening over at the Music Box? So over at the Music Box in 2018, uh, for three consecutive weekends, uh, Daily Grand House, the AV Club, and Front Row, as you said, are putting on three uh, midnight screenings, both the Friday and Saturday, of uh, three bonkers cult classics. Uh, some of which, I mean, I look, I'm not the gatekeeper when it comes to cult cinema, but... 
you may have seen them, you may not have, but either way, all three of these movies are worth going to check out. Even if you've seen them before, go and check out with a a, a ready, a willing midnight audience. And we've got uh, Wild Beasts, an Italian uh, when animals attack style film from 1984. Uh, and then the following weekend, we have my personal favorite of the bunch, the one I personally curated. Uh, and it's worth mentioning that we got these. These are not being shown on 35mm. They're being mm-hmm. shown on uh, DCP that we arranged through the American Genre Film Archive, who are doing the Lord's work down in Austin, remastering and restoring these films to their... Sh- probably better than they ever <laughs> looked, yeah. even in their original release. I believe it. And then we also... So we have The Astrologer from 1975, which has a very interesting story that we'll get into later. Mm-hmm. And uh, Straight Cat Rock Sex Hunter, part of the Straight Cat Rock or Alley Cat Rock series from Japan from the uh, 60s and 70s. I just by name alone, yeah. these are simply <laughs> must see. Oh, it's the stray cat rock. Uh, ex- <laughs> Nothing to do I, with Brian Setzer. Nothing to do with no this. Be- <laughs> beating the stray cats to the punch by about a decade. So let's start. Let's start with Wild Beast. That's coming up on twenty uh, sixth and twenty seventh at midnight. You said it's an Italian when animals attack. Is that like a subgenre? Okay, so the when animals attack subgenre. If, if I was going to pinpoint a moment in history where it started, or I like a uh, favorite thing of mine to do at Daily Grind is just add exploitation to the end of anything. Uh, Star Wars ripoffs, which were a big thing post nineteen seventy seven. I call that Lucas exploitation, <laughs> or um, like this new glut of you know. It used to be just guys, but now like this new glut of like a uh, movies that feature a a kind of almost superhero style antagonist killing a lot of people on screen, like Proud Mary or any Liam Neeson movie could be considered like Wick exploitation or right. Neeson exploitation. Like one movie comes out and it inspires every other filmmaker, be it from the low budget to the bigger budget, even these days, uh, to kind of rip it off in a sure. way or put its own spin on it. So when animals attack, I mean, let's face it, it's Jaws, nineteen seventy-five. Yeah. <laughs> Jaws comes out. There's a whole slew of Jaws exploitation movies where it's animals in in water attacking people. But then there was a whole other thing. We had snakes with Jaws of Satan or Venom. Uh, I'm terrified of snakes, so I love those okay. movies. And, and, and Rattlers. And then you had uh, like the Jaws ripoffs like Piranha or Orca or uh, White Shark. Wait, they did an Orca? Oh, you never seen Orca? No. <laughs> Is that like Shamu? Yes. But, <laughs> it's, like Shamu. but it's a killer, killer whale. I, I like to think of it as a uh, prequel to the Blackfish, the uh, the documentary <laughs> oh, about SeaWorld. Wow. Uh, but uh, yeah, the killer whale. <laughs> so there's a reason. Yeah, there's a reason that it's oh, yeah. to be. <laughs> there, There's a reason that, uh, that, that Blackfish happened. But, uh, <laughs> but it acts, uh, Orca has a relatively well-known cast, too. I want to say it was John Huston and uh, Bo Derek. You're kidding me. And then you also had Grizzly, the the killer bear movie uh yeah i think there was a movie uh day of the animals i think that was and there, i i rec i recall seeing this one uh when animals attack movie it might have also been italian where they used like actual lions and people like got hurt i can't remember that's roar roar okay <laughs> that could be considered part of the when animals attack of course that's borderline a documentary like that yeah. was about um god it was a famous uh, ah, it was. It's a famous uh, celebrity family, like that grew up in this house with with just wild, real lions, wild like, real lions. Animals. Yeah, and Roar was a movie that was made in the house, and it has a narrative. But if you watch it, it's obvious that people 
we're yeah. in relative danger yeah. at, at points <laughs> throughout the film. Um, What's the deal with these? The naming structure of these when animals attack movies. It's one word that describes either what the just describes the type of animal that's attacking or what it's doing. Roar, orca, jaws. Uh, well, it all comes from jaws. Like jaws had a jaws. simple one word title, and they want alligator. Alligator is one of my favorites. There's written. just a movie called Alligator. It's from 1980. It's written by John Sayles. Like John Sayles, most people know him as you know the. Uh, uh, one of the fathers of independent cinema, or right. at least a, uh, a luminary, but he made his money like writing trash. He wrote <laughs> Alligator. He wrote Piranha. Nice. Uh, he was attached to a Django reboot a couple years ago that I don't think ever got off the ground. But yeah, John Sayles. But John Sayles also did Brother from Another Planet and Lone Star. And mm-hmm. uh, his '80s output is legendary. But yeah, he. But when you watch him in interviews, he never looks down on the trash. No, I, I, and when you watch his trashier movie, like let's say Piranha or Alligator, there's there's a lot of nuance to it. They're very sharp. They're very sharp. Alligator is absolutely worth watching, and uh, a Chicago connection is set partially in Chicago. Oh my! So, where alligators roam? Yeah, yeah. well, because <laughs> it was based on, and a lot of it's based on myth too. Like alligators, based on the myth of people would win alligators at carnivals. And flush them down the toilet. Oh, wow. And then they would live in the sewers. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's Robert Forrester versus the alligator in this movie. Oh, my God. So would you say that this Wild Beasts movie is a part of the... You would throw it into, like, a spielsploitation kind of... Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Except it's it's about ten years late, because it's ten years after Jaws. But... And it's, it's Italian, so it's... It's very low budget and very grimy, and although there is a disclaimer at the opening of the film that no animals were harmed in the making of this film, I, I suppose I should let people know that the opening is relatively is pretty gruesome. Yeah, uh, this movie you, you do see animals getting killed. I don't believe it's real, but it very when, when you're first time first time I was watching, I was like. That looks like it might be real, man. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about watching. It's kind of like that moment in uh, Friday the Thirteenth when they cut up the snake. Yeah, and I was just like, "Oh, that's definitely real." Oh, they it killed, was. That they was, killed yeah. that snake. <laughs> they absolutely killed. That. At least we know what's for dinner. Yeah, right. That's the... <laughs> so and um and so Wild Beasts is bonkers. What I love about Wild Beasts is that sometimes a movie like this, an exploitation movie like this, might have a great poster and a great name and. And all of that, but maybe the payoff doesn't come until the end of the movie. Maybe there's only one great scene. That's a problem with a lot of exploitation and drive-in cinema, I find. Or at least, not a problem, but an issue. Like, it takes a long time to get going, and a lot of them are only remembered for one moment. Wild Beast gives you exactly what you want. (laughs) It opens up with a quote. Allow me to read this quote. Our madness engulfs everything and infects innocent victims, such as children or animals. And it's credited to Francis Thrive. Who's Francis Thrive, you may ask. I mean, did you, if you guys did any research, you'll find out he didn't exist. That's a quote from the director. He opened up his own movie with a quote from himself. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just, animals just start dying. Well, because the story goes, I mean, it's also kind of a PSA about the dangers of not only keeping animals captive, captive but PCP. Because the animals drink, <laughs> the animals drink PCP-laced water that gets into the zoo and then they start turning on people and so you get killer rats okay you get killer elephants you get killer lions and it's all very gruesome it's very italian it's very bloody uh, and it's just i mean you talk about a movie that 
So something we, when we do these midnight screenings with the front row, and something the front row, and, and, and as well as us at Daily Grindhouse, we, we encourage you to go and enjoy the movie. This isn't Riff Tracks. This isn't Mystery Science Theater. And you're not as clever as any of those writers. Right. So don't come to make fun of the movie. But we also don't want you to be quiet. We want you to enjoy it. Scream, holler, hoot, yell, yeah. have a couple cocktails. It's a movie called Wild Beast. Yeah. A, treat it with the re- just as much reverence as you need to treat it with. Sure. Have fun with it, because these movies are fun. And yeah. that's why we're showing them at midnight and not 11 a.m. on a Sunday. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you can't bring the kids, maybe. You bring them to the matinee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, ki- the kids had run screaming as soon as oh, they saw the God. first animal killed. And I just, this one. I love that this is an, Ita- an Italian morality play on the dangers of PCP. <laughs> I, I, I do like the fact, something I find funny about uh, Italian cinema is the way that they filter American genre through themselves. I mean, that's how you get the spaghetti Western, which more or less redefined the Western yeah, for the better. Can you talk a little bit about the Italian sense Built like taking something like Jaws and filtering it through this, I guess, foreign for lack of a better word, this kind of different cultural sensibility and getting a different product altogether. The thing that I always notice of uh, particularly the Italian knockoffs, and they're always infinitely sleazier. <laughs> yeah, they really like the blood and yeah, mud and everything. Yeah, and there's always a lot more nudity. And it always feels much more transgressive, which is something I like about it. Like something like Wild Beast, you almost feel like you shouldn't be watching this. You have to get it in a brown paper bag from the video store. Well, yeah, like back in the old days of like tape trading, uh, before you had great companies like Vinegar Syndrome and Arrow and Shout Factory you know, and the American Genre Film Institute or uh, Archive treating these movies with like the respect that we'd like to see them treated with but you are kind of missing something when you had to go to odd obsession mm-hmm. and hey what what do you what do you have that's weird what you, you and you would have a guy at the counter there or a girl at the counter there, like, hey i'm looking for a movie where you know an italian animals rip a and they'd think about it and they say, "Oh yeah, let me." Yeah. And there's probably like three more other ones that I'm not even yeah. bringing up for this one. Like this one, this one, and this one. You know, these are the ones. Give me all three. Like I, I grew up on the South Side in uh, Beverly, and I still live down that way. And there was a video. There were two video stores, Popcorn Video and Village Video, that I frequented. That I would see the box art for a lot of these trashier movies, like the Ilsa movies. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with the Ilsa Wolf Wolf of the she SS? Wolf of the SS. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nazi exploitation, sex exploitation. And stuff and I was always, you know, <laughs> without revealing too yeah. much about my personal proclivities, I always kind of drawn to Diane Thorne on the cover sure. of those movies. And I always thought to myself, especially now as an adult, like, who was renting those movies <laughs> in, my, in my neighborhood? You know, who was renting all the, all those flicks? And it's probably people like me who live down there. Um, uh, the director of Wild Beast has an interesting history because he get, one of the first movies he worked on was uh, the Mondo Kane. Shockumentary in 1962, which it became notorious because it featured, it was like Faces of Death. It featured real live, uh, you know, inhumane acts. And it's still not sure how much was real and how much was that. But uh, one of the most interesting films, and this is what I just found out doing research uh, in his repertoire, is a film called Goodbye, Uncle Tom. Oh, my. Uh, I saw this, I had read about it for years, and I saw it down at Fantastic Fest, introduced by Nicholas Winding Refn. And it's a, 
it's a what do they what, what's a fake documentary called? What do they call those now? A mockumentary. Mockumentary. Yeah. It's, a, it's a mockumentary from '72 that features a camera crew that goes back to uh, Civil War times and does a documentary on slavery in the United States. Except it's strange because there's never any explanation to how they traveled through time with cameras to go do it. They're just there. It's just accepted. <laughs> They're there, and there's no race against time to 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 get like, oh, we have to get that helicopter sure. before we're trapped here forever. It's just treated. I mean, relatively realistically, <laughs> but it's just ill advised. It's totally in bad taste, but if you're a connoisseur of bad cinema, I do recommend you kind of tracking out and yeah. you know, just to wonder who let this happen. Yeah, who 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 had the, who in the right mind would make a movie called Goodbye? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know. It's, I, oh my god! I feel my face is red. Just I know, yeah, I know. And, like, and you know, the whole I sat with a crowded room of people down at Fantastic Fest who were sure. just obviously very uncomfortable by the whole thing. There was, I mean, there's always nervous laughter because it's more for me. Like it's, it's not funny because of the subject matter. It's funny to me that somebody thought this was a good idea. Now, that was a Italian. team of people <laughs> had to, had to think that yeah, this was at least like, a oh, yeah, serviceable. No, yeah, let's do this, but that's exploit, that's exploitation cinema. Yeah, that's true. But going and back to your original question, like a lot of that was, you know what, this will people will be curious. This will put butts in the seats. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the bottom line with a lot of exploitation, while we treat it like art now, and there is a lot of artistry in it, it was money. Yeah, it was, oh sure, it, it was like let's put out a cheap product that can make money back. That's why the I mean. That's why Sam Raimi and them, they would have probably been better off making comedies. They had more of a three sto- love of Three Stooges and horror sure. but they knew there was a return on investment for yep. horror, which is why they made Evil Dead. So it's interesting that you bring up Nicholas Winding Refn yes. at Fantastic Fest, because he also, <laughs> in, what was it, 2014, introduced yes. the next movie that will be showing The Astrologer, which you mentioned there's kind of a... I've done... Tom and I both have done some reading on it, and it, to use a word that you've been using, it looks fucking bonkers. It's bonkers. (laughs) That's the only way you can describe The Astrologer. Now, you guys have not seen The Astrologer yet. No. Because, I mean, one of the things I love, when we were programming these three, uh, myself and the front row in uh, AV Club. So let me uh, talk a little bit about how this whole thing came about before we get into The Astrologer. Uh, uh, The front row was putting on a stream... Uh, screening a 70 millimeter screening of Streets of Fire at the Music Box, and I saw this, and I always like to ride people's coattails and get my, you know, get my fingers in a bunch of pies. And I said, hey, I want Daily Grindhouse to sponsor this. Everybody on the site loves this movie. This is something we do. So I got involved with them through Ryan from the Music Box, and it turned out I knew Brian McKendry, who runs Front Row already. I'd mm-hmm. met him before through Katie, who is our connect at AV Club, right, Katie right. Rife. So. Katie and I went to the Friday night screening of Streets of Fire, and we, after we were walking out with McKendry and talk, we had a real good showing at Streets of Fire for sure. a midnight movie. For as we discussed before the podcast, uh, before we started this podcast, um, for a relatively cultish hit, like it was, it didn't fill out, fill up, fill up the, it didn't sell out the big theater, but it filled it up. So we started talking about like, yo, we'd like to bring more of our personal tastes. To the music box, because there's so much going on in Los Angeles. I mean, before the whole Cine Family thing kind of went Blew kaput, up, yeah, yeah. they had that. Austin, obviously, with Fantastic Fest, and the American Genre Film Archive is down there, and the, the, the home of the Alamo, even though they had their own problems as sure, well. Yep. 
and, and New York is New York. There's always something going on in New York. Like, right. why can't Chicago be doing this stuff too? And I love, I love that the Music Box is showing midnight screenings of stuff like the Goonies and Hook and stuff that's really not of my generation. Sure, but it's like cute. It's cool that it's like they're bringing people out to experience the midnight atmosphere. Yeah, but that's not. Initially, that's not the what midnight, the midnight movie, atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, the ultimate one, I mean, the big one is Rocky Horror Rocky Picture Horror, Show, yeah. which, I mean, even that as transgress or as pro- not, eh, it wasn't transgress, subversive as it was in 75. It's not like, so subversive anymore. <laughs> I, I was talking to some girls uh, once, like they were talking to her, their dad introduced it to it. Their dad loved Rocky. Yeah. Horror, you know, and it's like, okay, so it's not as subversive anymore. Um, so we got together and we said, well, let's, let's pick three movies from the American Genre Film Archive. And Katie picked uh, the one we'll talk about later, Straight mm-hmm. Cat Rock. Uh, Brian McKendry and uh, Bryce uh, from the South Side chose Wild Beast. But when I looked at that list, I said, I want to bring the astrologer to Chicago because the astrologer. I believe, in my research, has only shown in Los Angeles and Austin. I will assume it probably showed in New York at one point. So yeah, this is somewhere. definitely, I believe it's the first screening in Chicago. And what's so great about The Astrologer for me, like, the plot is secondary. A, a carny con man realizes he actually has psychic powers. And he uses them to his own means, to, mm-hmm. to further his own agenda. But the story about it that it's never going to re- it'll probably never receive a, an actual release because of the use of Moody Blues music <laughs> yeah, throughout the entire throughout movie, the entire movie <laughs> oh, um, that he never secured the rights for that this is something really special and he would be Craig Denny Craig Denny right? the, yeah. the director it was uh, written by someone uh, different I don't have the name in the notes but it's obviously his passion project and you can tell that and um, it reminds me a lot of The Room Mm-hmm. When you when you watch it, here's what I love about like these bonkers uh, passion projects, like something like the Room. You guys have seen the Room, yes, yes, yeah. which you know a lot of people know now, definitely know now because of the disaster artist. It's all about how awesome the person who's running the show is. The Room. Every time somebody would be like. Oh, you're my you're my favorite customer, Johnny. Yeah. And how everybody was just treating him bad. Everybody was going. It was it was obviously somebody messed with Tommy was so at some point in his life. Yeah, and he was putting it all on the paper. Yeah, yeah. it's squarely from his perspective the entire movie. Absolutely <laughs> about how great he is and how everybody does his, does him wrong and nobody understands him as an artist. You get that out out of the astrologer because it's just all about how great. This guy is, and he <laughs> and it he goes on an adventure. Like I mean, it's pre indie exploitation because it's pre Raiders of the Lost Ark, but mm-hmm. it's kind of got that uh, adventure kind of vibe, King Solomon's Mind kind of thing. Um, and it it also reminds me a lot of. Did you guys see Dangerous Men? Which no, was another. No, yeah. It was an Alamo Draft House hit. One of these kind of law things that were thought to be lost to time. And Dangerous Men, the story with that is the guy started shooting in the 80s, ran out of money, and shot the rest of it in the 90s. So I, Fantastic Fest can be rough on you, and I will fully admit to I took a little siesta in the middle no of the doubt. movie, and I woke up and I wondered what the hell was going on because <laughs> it was a completely different movie. It was a completely different movie oh because God. he just... He didn't have the stars from the original half, so all of a sudden it just shifts gears into this something else. separate thing. <laughs> and the astrologer does that like three or four points throughout it, and you you just have to see it to believe it. Like that's it. It, it sounds like some 
some Carney Con Man stuff on my end, but like if you're not getting out there on February second and third to see this, you're really you're missing, missing out on something special. Now, uh, Nicholas Wending Reffin he described Craig Denny. He said that Greg Denny with the astrologer took autorism to a whole new level. <laughs> what I what does that mean? What are we in store for when he means you know? Uh, he took the auteur theory to a whole new level. Well, he didn't write the movie, but it's. I, I think it's. I, I there's a, the history of this whole thing is is muddled, uh, as they are. Yeah, it, <laughs> which are. which adds, just adds to the mystique, which mm-hmm. I love. That you're really watch. This is like the room. This is Craig Denny <laughs> synthesized into this movie. You, you've. I, I don't want to say you've never seen anything like it, but I. It's bonkers. It's bizarre. Know, it's I, strange. We watched the trailer, <laughs> and I. Li- and you are literally right. I'm watching. I'm like. I don't think I've ever seen something of this caliber before because it really stands on its own. Like all of a sudden, it, it, he's going from location to location to location. He's in like Tahiti. He goes into a Kenyan prison. Yep. Yeah. And he's in like a gar a jewel cache guarded by poisonous. Cobras and he and looks over. I like that part. I'm terrified of snakes. I know oh, yeah. that part. Uh, that part and then there's pull, pull my feet up on the couch. You know, <laughs> and then there's a door that's space. He's just oh, looking yeah. out into a the astral window. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just. I really like the the concept. I mean, you you did say that the plot is kind of like uh, that's not really the point. But it's I, all secondary. It's the experience. I do love the idea of just like a carny con man who's got <laughs> psychic powers, and then it just completely jumps off the rails from there. I mean, and and you said we'll never. This could be the only chance that anybody has to see it in the city of Chicago. And if that's going to watch. This. That's why I'm really pushing this because, um, and, and and one of the one of my one of my big uh, reasons to want to bring this to Chicago is that even in cult film, there is a little bit of gatekeeping. And there is something to be said for something that's very hard to find. It was uh, similarly with uh, Oliver Reed and. Ken Russell's The Devils, Mm -hmm. which was very hard to find for a long time because it was, I don't think it, it got an official release in the States, but it disappeared because uh, kind of a tax religion. It's very, it's very Mm -hmm. sacrilegious and it was hard to find. So it was like one of those things where when you were talking to cinephiles, like, oh, but did you see The Devils? Yeah. And it was kind of like a cool, like, oh yeah, I've seen that. I said it too, which I love that aspect of it. But I don't like that idea that, oh, well, if you haven't seen The Devils, then you're not a true cinephile. Like, you need to give people, cult film is for everybody. You need to give people the opportunity to see this. Like, yeah, I, I'm not going to send out, I can't give you a copy of the Astrologer to watch in your home and make it that easy mm-hmm. on you, but I can program it for a midnight showing at the Music Box in Chicago right? and give you the opportunity. Like, it shouldn't be something, the Astrologer shouldn't be something that only people in L.A. and only people in Austin get to see. I want my people in Chicago to be able to see this so people can be at the bar or anything, and, uh, like, I, I, there's going to be, I, I will... Exclusive here. We uh, we'll be giving away pins at the showing, exclusive to the showing that read 
you're not an astrologer, you're an asshole. <laughs> so it'll be one of those things. Like if you see somebody else around Chicago wearing that pin on their on their denim jacket, you're like, mm-hmm. I was at that screening too. Let's talk about the astrologer. And you know, it it it, it encourages uh, people talking about movies, which 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 I dig. It's uh, it's something that I yeah I, I I want to do with is with cult cinema as somebody who you know had to track some of this stuff down as yeah. a young man through you know nefarious underground uh, video <laughs> video rings. Right. And even in a world, and it, something else that I always bring up when I talk about the astrology and cult film in general, when I was a kid reading uh, like Rec.Arts, that laser disc on the news groups on Prodigy Internet, I was an early adapter to the internet, <laughs> and you'd read about these, like something like the, the spider walk scene from The Exorcist, which was fabled for years. Did they shoot it? Did they really shoot it? Nobody saw it. And then it finally came onto DVD, and even though it's it's not all that great, but that build-up, like, oh, I'm finally seeing something. You don't have that anymore, because mm-hmm. now deleted scenes are part of the the way you sell the Blu-ray. The Last right. Jedi, we already know we're getting a half hour of deleted scenes on that. Yeah. It's not like, for years, people wondering if they actually shoot uh, Obi-Wan and Darth Vader's confrontation uh, in Return of the Jedi, yeah, yeah. when he tells the story in the novelization, did, oh, did they shoot that, or like the, the Biggs scenes in the, uh, the original Star Wars, and you talk about it with friends, and uh, associates for years and it becomes mythological like the astrologers in a world where you can find anything on streaming via shutter or via amazon prime this is something that's still just a little bit out there that you can't find everywhere and i appreciate that yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because yeah. we were we were thinking about this in the lead up to talking to you about this idea of uh what and we read this great article on birth movies death about um the astrologer specifically and the death of the secret handshake movie and i yeah. feel like you've hit a lot of those like a lot of those same sentiments i feel like i've were, I've, I've read that piece too i mean yeah. that's uh by jacob knight you know yeah. I, I we're we're twitter buds i see i see For the sure. fantastic fest um yeah, I, 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 understand, I understand his his sentiment. Yes. Yeah, and um, but with what I wanted to say was uh, specifically to your point about the streaming versus getting out and seeing the movie itself. So, Connor, you and I are subscribers to a number of several streaming, streaming several services, services. Yeah. and there's I will say it is incredibly convenient. Like as as much as I love going to midnight movies and everything like that, there is the incredible convenience of being like. Like, oh wow! I just read this article about this uh, about Battle Royale. I never right. saw Battle Royale, and that's the thing about digital, it. right? Is it's at the best quality of digital is that it's comforting or that it's it's, it's convenient. Yeah, it's yeah easy absolutely. And convenient. But um, do you think that it that you enjoy a movie more when you have to go kind of out of your way? I mean, I wouldn't call the music box exactly out of our way, and you have done a fantastic job <laughs> doing the heavy lifting of it, which is. Thank securing you. the film but do you think that people will enjoy the movie more going out to see it and saying i'm gonna go have an experience instead of like uh i'm a member of a few torrent groups i bet i can find a copy of this uh with something like the astrologer i would say yeah i mean i i i would say you could enjoy it at home because it's weird i mean drugs help yeah uh, <laughs> That's and, an official no coast endorsement. Yeah. 
I think there's something to be said for the experience of seeing something in a movie theater as well. I'll admit, sometimes when I'm watching a movie at home, even if, it, if it's something that's maybe not catching my interest right away, I'll play on my phone or I'll, I'll find a project around the house that I need to do. Like, it does happen. Not all the time. Sometimes, most times, a movie just completely captures gotcha. me and brings yeah. me in. Whereas when you see it in the theater, like, you're, if you have any manners, you're handcuffed and you, I'm just going to keep my phone in my pocket and you're watching it with this crowd of people and sometimes the crowd can help you yeah. get into it. And that's a big th- that's a big part of the experience of the midnight movie, I think. I mean, Rocky Horror is the the biggest example where people started dressing up as the characters and interacting with the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is something that you can't really capture at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friends and I used to do a thing where when I wanted to catch up on a lot of the, you know, the trashier side of cinema that I had never seen before, yeah, a lot of stuff's great to watch for yourself, but me and my friends would get together at my buddy's apartment who lived next door to me on Thursday nights, and everybody would bring something off Netflix. Mm-hmm. Something strange, something bizarre. Some people would bring very mainstream stuff, mm-hmm. but I always appreciated it when we'd bring something out there that... Yeah, if you were watching it by yourself, it might be okay. But if you're watching it with a group of people that appreciate that kind of trash, and you'll make the occasional crack or joke, or and laughter's contagious when somebody starts yeah. laughing at something. I mean, back to the drug thing. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I'm really excited about this, and why I I think Tom and I are both going to be going to the at least the astrologer showing yes. uh, in f- early February. And 2017 was a great year for me as a moviegoer because I had sort of forgotten how great it can be to be in a theater full of people and have a really truly great and like community sentiment kind of you know watching experience yes and that's what I'm really excited for with this. You liken it to the room, and I've seen the videos of the people throwing spoons at the yeah. screen. So I'm really excited for sort of that kind of inclusive environment when I'm watching a movie that's just, what, like accidentally avant-garde? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's... it's I, nobody. Uh, Craig Denny has, is not, not of this world anymore. He is transferred to this transferred to the stars through the, astral per, the great astral horoscope in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we don't know really what was going on with the making of this movie, but it's got a great as I like to call it something weird aesthetic. Are you guys familiar with uh, something weird? Uh, it's a company that uh, out of Seattle, uh, started by Mike Verani, uh, his uh, his widow, uh, Lisa Petucci, runs it now. And um, did you guys see the Love Witch? I did ago? see the Love Witch. Okay. I'm not. So it you know is that bonkers. you know you know that aesthetic, that look. Yeah, that it's I, it's so indescribable. But telling me that there is a company that kind of likes that they makes curate sense. that kind of movie. It's usually from the late '60s, early '70s, psych, little bit psychedelic, extremely overlit, yeah, like, very <laughs> soft. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they do a lot. They put out a lot of movies like that. And um, I would say the astrologer definitely fits in that something weird aesthetic yeah i do it's so funny that you bring up the love witch because that was one of my thoughts i was like wow this looks like it has that specific quality to it that's just like like or uh what was what was it we project nightmare project nightmare had that kind have you yes. ever seen project nightmare? Uh, no i haven't seen but uh, i believe did you go it was at the comfort, was comfort station film, yeah. oh yeah. Uh, paul oh, paul from God. daily Gra- mm-hmm. paul yeah. paul yeah. paul frag from daily grindhouse i love i uh, Let me stop and just say, I love that he writes for Daily Grindhouse, because if he didn't write for Daily Grindhouse, I would be reading his stuff. Because he seeks out the kind of weird that I love, that I don't, like, 
you kind of feel like everything's been discovered. You've seen everything before, right? And then Paul finds something <laughs> like he does. He did. He did a a rewatch of some Playboy series for our softcore week. This this it was a series on Playboy TV that was like I think it was serialized or anthology. But he went back and watched it, and like I said, treated it with the just the amount of reverence that it needed to be treated with. And I love what he does, and I love what he does at Comfortstation with uh, Raul and Nando. Yeah, it was um, watching Project Nightmare. I feel like that was just dipping my toes into this idea of going and out and seeing a weird curated yeah. movie. And Connor and I both absolutely loved it. Comfortstation's so a great place to see that. Exactly. It is. Yeah, it well, was an arresting experience. That movie. <laughs> well, and and the thing that I really like about both. Both what you're doing and what conversations do and what screening series around the city are doing is that one it's providing a place for people to go out and have a good time yes but also i feel like we're building this relationship uh even say you and i were to never meet mr vanderbilt and i would i don't want to live in that world i don't want to live in that world but Let's this pretend. dystopia. <laughs> but say I'm just, you know, average Joe. I'm walking by the music box and I say, oh, they've got, they're showing this crazy midnight movie. Oh, I haven't been to a midnight movie in years. And you go and you find out that it's been curated and that it's been chosen for, it, it's almost like for you. It's like, look, this is going to be the building block of a, of a cultural relationship we're going to have. And then you get to experience it and you walk out. And even if we don't ever get to talk, you feel like, wow, Mike Vanderbilt and Daily Grindhouse picked something for me and said, I think you're really going to like this. And that's why I like that idea of the secret handshake movie where uh, or now the buttons, the fact that the, there are going to be buttons, I'm freaking out. Yeah. And <laughs> one more exclusive that we're announcing today. Not only will there be buttons and we're we're gonna have giveaways at the other uh, two screenings. I haven't figured out what I'm. I, I, I'm working on working on some weird stuff. I love I love the hucksterism. I love sure. the, I love the William Castleness. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to bring that back. I want to bring that back because you get these, it, Like you said, with streaming services, you need to make these things an event. Mm-hmm. Like people want to take their picture there and they want to do things, which is why we will be featuring renowned renowned astrologer who is not an asshole. <laughs> Vina LeVay will be reading tarot uh, for two hours before the astrologer screening, at least on a Friday night. I mean, I can't predict the future. She can. <laughs> Possibly on the Saturday night. So I can find out so get, how good my crops are going to be this absolutely. year. Absolutely. Or what my credit score is going to be in 2022. It's going to suck. It's just, it's I'm, I can good. tell you that right now. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> well. I, as someone who's dealing with credit card debt. Oh, spoiler boy. alert. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we're going to have a, a real live astrologer reading tarot uh, at, in the music box, uh, the lounge next door. Um, so get there early. I, I think oh, yeah. Moon Knight movie starts at midnight, so I think about having her there about 10, maybe even 9, depending on what the demand is. Well, I mean, that's what makes it the best part is that you can get in there. Like, I mean, as you were saying before, get your cocktail, get your future red, you know, and uh, make this make this a thing. Uh, before we run out of too much time, yes, I do want to step uh, over to Stray Cat Rock or Alley Cat Rock, Sex Hunter. I... I please give right. me some sort of context here. Is Sex so, Hunter like there's like a colon in there or something? It's yes. a title. Okay. So this is Sex this, Hunter. This is a series of of, uh, of films uh, that uh, came out of Japan in the uh, swinging sixties, early seventies, and they generally deal with 
girl gangs, violence. Um, a little bit faster pussycat kill kill. In that vein, yeah. It's definitely kind of an answer to the teenage delinquent movies of the uh, from America in right. the States. But uh, with that very distinct kind of Japanese uh, style. So uh, these are playing February 9th. Now, I am not the expert on these. This is this is this was definitely curated by Katie Reif of the AV Club. You can find her. she's the news editor and film critic over there. <coughs> Excuse me. And she um she introduced me to these movies. I didn't know much about them, but it's uh it's about a gang of female hoodlums who take on a mob boss who is working in the sex trade. It's the third film of the Stray Cat Rocker Alley Cat Rock uh, series. They're very psychedelic, very sexy. Now, you don't need to see all of the... Let me Spoiler, you don't yeah. need to see all of the, uh, the other Stray Cat Rock movies. <laughs> this is just kind of considered the favorite okay. amongst a lot of uh, experts in this particular uh, subgenre. It was shot concurrently with the, the other, another uh, movie in the series called uh, Stray Cat Rock Wild Jumbo. But the real trick, the, 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 the thing about this movie that's worth going to see is if only for the, its star, Miko Kaji. That rings a bell. I'll tell you why. She was an actress and singer, but she's perhaps best known for her starring role in 1973's Lady Snowblood. That's it. Okay. Are you guys Lady Snowblood fans? I, I've I have seen s- it. I have started working my way through it because I can't remember if it's Criterion or Arrow that has a Lady Snowblood set. I think cri- I think no, it's Criterion. Criterion had it. Yeah. Right? And and I subscribed to the Filmstruck uh, streaming service and I was just like, this looks fucking awesome. Like oh, I'm great. just going to start watching it. So, wow. So she's in this. Yes, that's this fantastic. Is, this is three years before Lady Snowblood. Um, uh, she was also in uh, the female convict seven hundred one Scorpion series, uh, which Arrow has a has yeah. a box set out. I for. mean, that's part of. Well, I mean, I'll I'll hear people will listen to this and they'll hear about it if I if I'm wrong on this. I believe that's part of like uh, they're known as Pinky Violence movies, mm-hmm. which uh, it's sex and violence, pink sure. because of genitalia sure <laughs> that, that's where it comes from um so it's three years before lady snow she was a japanese singer and actress she uh she is stunning like, you can't take your eyes off her if any like and it's just so much great violence in this movie uh there's a cool biography from arrow books about uh her by tom mess uh, called unchained melody the films of uh Mako Kaji, you can read an interview with him on Daily Grindhouse. Uh, we'll, we'll tweet that out. We'll share that. Mm-hmm. Um, Katie describes her favorite scene in, uh, in the film as a... Uh, what, how does she say it? Mako and her gang light up a party of would-be rapists with Molotov cocktails. So it's very, yeah. of, the, it's very of the moment. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> it's very of the moment. Um, and that's what a lot of people like about these movies. They were very progressive. Yeah. And isn't isn't that strange in a in a certain sense where you know this is considered exploitation when you're back in the sixties and seventies, and now we're looking at these as you know as art as something to be appreciated, as you said, with a certain amount of reverence. And there's like there's something super timely about it because it's like with everything that happened last year with men in Hollywood, wouldn't it be nice to sit down and watch uh, a group of female warriors, but yeah, burn down. Down some some dudes like would be rapists. Yeah, girl know? gangs are very into zeitgeist now. Yeah. Like somebody somebody on my Facebook bought candles for like Bed Bath and Beyond that say girl gang on it. Yeah, so, hey, bring all, it back everybody who's into girl gangs. Like this is the movie to go see on uh, February 9th and tenth. Um, Miko Kaji eventually left the studio 
that made these movies because she refused to do nudity. They went straight softcore porn, right? Uh, yeah. this, and that's how she ended up doing Lady, Lady Snowblood, Snowblood yeah. which uh, just screened a couple weeks ago at uh, I don't know where, somewhere here in Chicago. I missed yeah. it, but. Uh, it's got all that great Japanese bright red blood splatter. Oh, yeah. It. Um, and it's, it's weird to think of. And you can uh, see the influence on it in Kill Bill. Right. The uh, climax of Kill Bill. And uh, I, I remember watching Force Awakens, like the lightsaber duel in the snow. At the oh, end. yeah. That's, that's straight Lady Snowblood. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, speaking of that, I mean, with these movies, you a lot of people, a lot of directors working today, I mean, the obvious choice is Quentin Tarantino, but then you get to guys like uh, Refn, who did Drive, Neon Demon, all this great stuff, really drawing inspiration from genre film. He even, uh, Mr. Refn said that he wanted to steal a scene from the astrologer for the Neon Demon. <laughs> and he just he's just like, I literally just want to take this scene and do it as a part of the neon demon why do you think these have such a lasting impact on the on directors of today it's fascinating to me because someone who grew up in the 80s and 90s where exploitation film was not held with any reference at Mm -hmm. all like uh, fangoria horror movies everything was kind of seen as low rent Mm -hmm. fangoria even had a, a a very funny uh regular feature and it was uh, like this cartoon of a studio boss with the the big cigar, big cigar, yeah. and the glasses, and uh, holding the film. And this is not a horror film. <laughs> and it's where they would cover something like Silence of the Lambs or uh, The Crush with uh, Alicia Silverstone, because horror was just seen as low rent. And you can sell, it. and that came up like this past year with like movies like Get Out and It, which kind of got critical raves, right. which I don't know if they would have gotten critical raves 20, 30 years ago. It's true. And I'm of two minds of that sort of thing. Well, I love that there's big Hollywood directors, but you got to figure the big Hollywood directors that are influenced by these movies are my age. So they grew up on the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when I was 14, 15, Quentin, it, I, it, it bears repeating. It's, it's almost a cliche at this point, but Quentin Tarantino, as much as I was into horror and kung fu movies before him, Reading about what influenced him inspired me to track down other exploitation cinema. And he kind of made it okay. He said to you at 14, 15, 16 years old, yeah, you can like all that trash, but you can also like the French New Wave and The Godfather and big Hollywood stuff and John Sayles movies. Like, you can just like movies. And not to say he invented that concept, but when you're 14, 15, 16, and you're is pre-internet where you feel like you live in this bubble world, but I like these both kinds of movies. And to Mm -hmm. find out that there's people out there like that, it's cool. And like, yeah, these directors are just people my age who maybe were inspired by Tarantino or other directors. And they're paying the reference to it that I'm paying to, too. So I love to see it. But on the other hand, it's also kind of like you do, like, talk about the secret handshake movie. You're kind of right, like, yeah. wait a minute, that used to be my thing. Everybody yeah. likes that now. And that's that's where you get kind of that fanboy nonsense. A little bit, yeah. Gatekeeper stuff. And, but you have to think about it. And that's something that I, I fight in myself because cult film is for everybody. And, and that's the sentiment I think we want to walk away with here is get out to these movies because cult film is for you. It's for your friends. It's for anybody it's your in parents. the city. My, I yeah. introduced my parents to this stuff. My parents just, my mom texted me last night to let, let me know that her and my dad watched uh, Brawl and Cell Black 99, <laughs> the new Vince Vaughn yeah. flick, which is total exploitation. For sure. <laughs> uh, which my dad loved and my mom was like, you could really hear the bones 
bones breaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still remember the first time I got my uh, my mom to watch Kill Bill, which is uh, like Kill Bill Volume One and Two. And Did you like she like it? She thought it was interesting. She was just like, "This is so. This is what you watch." And I was just like, <laughs> "Okay, yeah." Well, I, I I had a different upbringing than most people. Like my sure. mom bought me Fangoria and Mad Magazine. Well, wasn't that lovely? But family affair. Lovely. But she. Uh, <laughs> But now she can't watch. Uh, she can't watch horror movie. Like she can't. Well, she can't watch Freddy Krueger movies because they give her nightmares. I'm trying to get her to watch Get Out. She's a little nervous about. It. She's oh, just tell her it's just it. like the Stepford Stepford Wives. I said. Yeah. It's, I said it's like a good Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. She goes, I was terrified of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mike. Oh, thank you uh, for having me back, guys. I love. I love coming on here. This well, is great. Yeah. I'm going to go back through real quick in this yes, this schedule. Absolutely. Wild Beast, January 26th and 27th. Astrologer. February 2nd and 3rd, and then Stray Cat Rock, Sex Hunter, that's going to be February 9th and 10th, all at the Music Box, yes. all at midnight. Show up. Before we go, I want to see if uh, you can think of, I want to go around this little table we have. Right. Uh, what is your favorite midnight movie? What is your favorite midnight movie to show to people? And I, I, if you want to say The Astrologer, you can, but if you got another <laughs> no, one. No, no, no. Um, like, ugh, it's a tough call because, like, what is a midnight? Like, strange. Okay, you know what? Uh, as far as, like, just strange movies that I, 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 I kind of champion, Shriek of the Mutilated. What is that about? Shriek of the Mutilated. Shriek of the Mutilated. It's from 72 to 73. It's a, it's a Yeti movie. Okay. And uh, real low budget. Like, I mean, this would be what some people consider to be bad or poorly made, maybe. Maybe a little inept. Maybe a little offensive. I'm seeing air quotes on. <laughs> this is what you might As call you know, a movie that's poorly made yeah. or terrible. <laughs> it is gangbusters trash. And there is a twist that happens in the movie that I may have been intoxicated when I watched it for the first time. That I had to rewind it to make sure that I didn't dream it. Because <laughs> it's just so bonkers and so out there, like because in the kind of movie you're expecting to get, that it it makes it an infinitely better movie than the box or the poster art promises. Because so much of exploitation, it was a great box or a great yeah, poster art, just pick and then up. you see it, and it's like I said, you know, the last ten minutes are what you see it for. Shriek of the Mutilated is totally worth watching. Shriek of the Mutilated, that or Rocky Horror. I, I have a, I have, right, a cer- yeah. I have a certain soft spot for Rocky Horror I mean, and yeah. its sequel, Shock Treatment. Yeah, I see that is one. I, I only recently found out that there was a sequel to. I uh, there's Rocky Horror the music. Song. I might like it better than Rocky Horror. I don't know. And I don't know if that's me being a contrarian or just somebody who has listened to the shock treatment and Rocky Horror soundtrack umpteenth time since the time mm-hmm. I was 15 years old. Does the second one retain any of the original cast? Yes, in different roles. Okay. Oh, really? Bizarre. That's interesting. Yeah. I like that. So I'm going to seek out shock treatment. It's Definitely. very timely, too, because it kind of it predates uh, reality TV in a way. It's, uh, huh. And the music's great, because the music's very... If uh, Rocky Horror is very 50s-inspired, kind of 70s glam rock, this is very kind of 80s new wave. Okay. Yeah. Shock a lot tr- of great tunes in and it. Now. now, are these readily available places, or am I going to have to track down a guy? Um, Shriek and Mutilated is usually streaming for free on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. Usually in a very uh, in a shoddy copy that actually kind of adds to the aesthetic <laughs> of it. Looks like it was taken off somebody's 16 millimeter print in their basement. Uh, Shock Treatment actually Arrow Video put out a UK. I think it's a UK only. So if you have a non-region 
player, which I've been meaning to get yeah. basically for this package of shock treatment. We can but, go find that, yeah. Yeah, but you can find it on DVD, like cheap, and I don't think it's streaming anywhere, though. All right. Connor, what do you got? All right, so um, I'm going to go with Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. Yes, natural. Uh, I watched that movie... So I went on a, a vacation with one of my with my best friend uh, when I was about thirteen, and perfect age <laughs> it was. And we watched that. We brought like four or five different movies uh, to watch uh, in the hotel, and we only watched Kung Pao. We never got to the other titles. We watched Kung Pao. How many times did you watch it? Once a day, at least, for an entire week straight, and. To say that I was crying laughing doesn't really do justice to that, what was happening to th- me that, that when la- I watched. That laugh where like you feel like you might die because you can't yeah, breathe. Yeah, it's caught like, in there, and I can't... Nothing I can do is chipping away at that laugh. <laughs> like, I, I can't say enough things about that movie. Steve Oedekirk, I'm not a huge fan of the Thumb series oh, sure, thumb yeah. are great. Yeah. Thumb tannic. <laughs> and then so I, I don't know there's something about kung pao which has has me forever <laughs> and, and, and great for a midnight audience like anything yeah. like that because it's bizarre yeah and funny and like and it's like that's something like with like something like the astrologer what i like about it, when it feels like it's from another dimension which yeah, is sure. why i love like something <laughs> like tim and eric so much sure. yeah that it feels like there's another world that this came from yeah and that's that's and then that's got to be the uh, thing. I do want to throw one more on there, yep. which is not a movie. You can't really find it anywhere. It's something that you can sort of hobble together. It's called Dear Reader, Wizard People, which is oh, a retelling of the first Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone movie. Uh, it's got no music in it. It's a voiceover by comedian Brad Neely, who works for Adult Swim right now. Okay. and I like he, their stuff. He retools the all of the characters. He gives them different names. He, re, <laughs> he turns... He, he changes the genders of some of the characters. Yeah. He completely re-changes the story of the first Harry Potter movie around, and it is hysterical. It is, and it it's is really well written. Yeah. I, I love stuff like that, like that game people play online, describe your favorite movie plot badly. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And this is this is like almost a parody of a uh, of like an audiobook. Yeah. And it's just like if someone were reading Harry Potter to you, but also it's not Harry Potter at all, it just happens to be in the same cover simply put it's the greatest fan fiction ever made yeah it's like when your mom would buy you like oh i got you a star wars toy and it's like space galaxy yeah like, is, you... it, is that a spider-man body with a you yeah. know boba fett head yeah, like, exactly like <laughs> i guess this is harry potter like <laughs> you wouldn't know different um, well, what's your movie uh i gotta say so backstory in this we I, and this is why I love so much the midnight movie thing and the secret handshake movie. Uh, back when I was in like middle school, going into high school, I started going to Wizard World Chicago over Absolutely. in Rosemont. Over Rosemont. Yeah. yeah, and it, those were really formative for me and my friends. And the one thing we always made sure to do was because we really weren't about the panels; we were there to just buy shit because we couldn't get it anywhere else. And in McHenry County, there was like Absolutely. one comic book store. I, mm-hmm. I went. I used to go to the Weekend of Horrors when I was a kid, which was Fangoria's, and that's where I bought like the 95-minute version of Army of Darkness, which was on a muddy VHS tape. Yeah. And now you can get it for six bucks at Walmart. Right. And, and that's where you 
could go when you didn't have the cultural centers in town every day you just kind of were like well i guess i have to wait for con season so you save up all your money and when they get you on that money oh they do oh god (laughs) i could have i could have you could own a home you could could, own a home (laughs) uh but we uh we would always make sure to find one movie that we could all agree we're gonna buy this and it was usually cheap it's not like we all chipped in like a little bit of money because it was only like ten dollars on dvd and we would always pick one but movie you were teenagers like right. ten dollars is a lot of money i remember trying to get you know a couple bucks for gas out of right. people when yeah. it was ten dollars to fill a tank bingo and uh we we one year we got this movie called The Machine Girl. Have you ever heard of The Machine Girl? I don't think so. Uh, released in 2008 from Japan. The thing is, it, it basically tells the story of a girl whose family gets, you know, brutally murdered by Yakuza, and she gets her arm... As happens. As you, as you do in Japan. And, Watch the trailer. And... She gets her arm sliced off and uh, replaced eventually with a giant machine gun a la uh, Planet Terror. Now, oh, I think I've seen the poster for this. Yeah, and it's the girl. She's in like a Japanese school girl. Yes, thing. oh, she's absolutely. Big, I've yeah. seen the poster for this. And it turns out it's a real movie. Uh, it's, it's The thing is, is that you know, Planet Terror came out a year before and you can't – especially at the time we saw it and we're like, okay, so is this just a riff on Planet Terror? Well – be that as it may whether it is or isn't it is so much better than planet terror yeah. it is balls out they've got a drill bra they've got a flying <laughs> guillotine that finds people attaches to their head and just literally rips it off oh that's like uh that's uh like the flying guillotine movie wait there's a f- <laughs> <laughs> never seen oh it's an old it's an old i believe oh you mean the flying guillotine movie <laughs> oh shit flying guillotine yeah it's uh i think i think it's a shaw brothers it's a kung fu movie i believe it's shaw brothers it's what a lot of those kung fu movies like you gotta there's so many of them you really kind of gotta you gotta curate that you gotta sure. pick out the best ones because it's the all gems. the same it's all the same story somebody kills somebody's master they go out for revenge right but the flying guillotine yeah it's uh it's about this weapon with on a chain it throws, <laughs> goes on somebody's head just pops off it's probably inspired inspired <laughs> I, by that no doubt and well then oh you'll love this then. now i'm gonna have flying guillotine <laughs> but it looked like the, machi- Master the machine of the flying girl. Guillotine. i haven't seen the machine girl it looked like it was a wireless version yeah oh yeah well it, this it was, was on bluetooth updated yeah, was, for the for the modern millennial the, oh, modern, yeah. the modern era uh, <laughs> yeah, the modern era. it's not the steampunk version yeah. no <laughs> so yeah that's what i would say if you can find i believe it is streaming on amazon prime you can get the dvd for like 10 bucks <laughs> maybe i think i saw it on amazon for my, 72 cents i have me and my friends chip in right oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's got a quarter <laughs> but yeah definitely find that one all right again thank you so much oh, this Mike. is fun i love uh, this is this is so much fun coming out with you guys well and i feel like every time you come here i leave i'm like okay i'll have some notes open yeah seriously. and then i'm three pages in of just film titles and brief descriptions such as you know just orca john houston killer whale blackfish <laughs> prequel <laughs> <laughs> i think it's john houston someone will tell trust me someone will tell someone me if i'm wrong it. alligator exclamation point <laughs> sewers <laughs> so chicago chicago <laughs> so uh thank you again oh thank you get out to these midnight movies we're definitely going to see you at the astrologer i really got to get out and see straight cat rock Sex oh yeah Hunter, absolutely because she is like if you look at her miko kaji is like the first female action hero like she's she's it and what was it 1973 that was 70 70 snowblood was 73 yeah that's really like 
she's she's great in Stray Cat, yeah. but she's otherworldly in Lady Snowblood. And uh, like nothing you've ever seen. I'm, it's just lovely. Thank you again. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, all right. We'll and, to do uh, it again. Soon. Where, where can people follow you on social media? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Vanderbilt. I'm on a race for ten thousand followers. I'm about at nine thousand two hundred. Very good. So hey, follow me. Just follow, you don't need to help a guy out. Follow me and mute me. I don't care. Like <laughs> retweet my stuff once in a while. You can also find me uh, at Daily Grindhouse uh, at Daily Grindhouse on uh, DailyGrindhouse.com, and then you can find me. I write about podcasts mm-hmm. weekly. Uh, We're gonna work on getting this one on here <laughs> at the uh, at the AV Club on their Podmass. And uh, I've been. Uh, I had a, this week. I had my debut. Go up at the takeout, which is the AV Club's food and drink site. I saw that. Yeah, that was for Butter Week. For Butter Week, yeah. It's like I I joke that I've alienated everybody in film and television criticism, and I got a whole new crew of people to alienate in in food and drink. There Uh, you go. And if you want to just hang out with me, you can find me at the Rock Island Public House Saturday nights down in beautiful downtown Blue Island behind the bar. Fantastic. (laughs) Slinging it. All right. You are listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I'm Tom Hush. I'm Connor Cornelius. And we will see you all next week.